Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I am so excited to have Jeff Sandifer today. You're going to love this interview. We're going to talk about so much stuff. It's crazy, but you're going to love it. I mentioned in there, I'm going to tell you again, go get the book Courage to Grow and see firsthand what kinds of things they're doing at their school, and you will be inspired and blown away. So thank you so much for listening to Transformative Principle, and please share this with somebody who would benefit from learning more about Acton Academy and Jeff Sandifer. Welcome to Transformative Principle. Today, I am so excited to have Jeff Sandifer, uh, who is the founder of Acton Academy, and he is uh, actually an entrepreneur who just decided that he wanted to provide a better education for his kids. And so he decided to start a school, which is a brilliant story. And Jeff, thank you so much for being a part of Transformative Principle today. Oh, you bet. My, my pleasure. I am really fascinated by your story and how you got to where you are now, and um, especially as it relates to Acton Academy. So if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit of that story, and I'm going to say right now, if you are listening to this, you need to go to the show notes at transformativeprinciple.org and click on the link to buy the book Courage to Grow. And the whole story is in there, and it's fascinating and powerful. But Jeff, can you just give us a brief, short version of that story? Well, you bet, Jethro. And I, and I should start by saying uh, I actually co-founded Acton Academy with my wife, who, who she started it. Uh, the book is by Laura, and um, I've been along for the ride. So the story of Acton Academy was uh, my wife and I were sitting around one day, and she said, gosh, our children are in Montessori school. Uh, it's about time we put them in a normal school. And I went down to our daughter's um, very high-end elite middle school and asked the greatest teacher there, when should I move the boys? So they're enjoying the freedom of Montessori. When should we move them here? And he said, immediately. And he kind of snapped at me. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, once they've had that kind of freedom, if they've had it for too long, they won't like being strapped to a desk and lectured at for eight hours a day. And before I could even you know, think about it, I responded, I said, well, I don't blame them. And he looked down for the longest time. And I thought I had offended him. And when he looked up, he had tears in his eyes and he just whispered, he just kind of shook his head in a very soft voice said, I don't either. And so I went home that day and said, Laura, I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to homeschool. We're going to start a school, but our two boys have too much energy. They're too vivacious. You know, I'm not going to have them in a traditional lecture environment. And that was the day Acton Academy was born. And then, um, you know, we started with seven students in a small house and uh, with a blank sheet of paper and, and really just made up a new kind of school. Yeah, you know, I've I've heard that story and I've been on the teacher side of that story myself and just the idea of some of the things that we that we subject our kids to of that sitting in a classroom all day long and being compliant as the number one goal uh it just breaks my heart to to think about that and so 
as a principal, I've been striving my whole career to make sure that I'm creating a better environment for kids to learn in. And you took a different approach and you just said, we're just going to start a school from scratch. And a lot of people wouldn't do that. Why did you think that you guys could do that? What gave you the the courage, I guess, to make that choice? Well, a few things. I, I had been a Socratic teacher at the graduate level for, oh, at this point, probably 20, 25 years. And so I was confident that there were pieces of it we could pull off. You know, Khan Academy had, was just around long enough. I'd met Sal Khan and been you know, really impressed by, by what Khan had done in his early days. Uh, I'd met Sugata Mitra in the famous hole-in-the-wall uh, experiments that he did yes. in the slums of India. So I'd, I'd been with Sugata at the very early stage of his research and had followed what young people could teach themselves. And then really, you know, it sounds courageous now, but our fallback position was we could always put them back into uh, a traditional school or back into Montessori. So it was just an experiment. I mean, it was just an experiment that we were going to go try, work our hardest at it. And if it didn't work, we always had a fallback. And I want to say that, you know, Jethro, it's important. I, I'm not, you know, we're a different flavor school, but I'm in no way really knocking traditional schools. I don't like people lecturing at somebody eight hours a day, but most traditional schools don't do that. They have terrific teachers. They're trying hard. So we're not, uh, we're not in the school reform business. We're in the serving parents who want to do what we do business and you're know, not in the business of knocking anything else. Yeah. And that's, that's an important distinction to make. And I appreciate you saying that and I'm right there with you, but I am personally in the school reform business in my own, in my own way of trying to make our schools better, better for kids. And so I like your approach that you're just trying to provide for parents the same things that you want, which I think is a, is a good approach to take for sure. Yeah. yeah, And I respect reformers and I respect what you're doing. It's just, that's not, we're trying to stay out of all the political controversy and just do our own little thing. I always want to say that as a disclaimer because we're just trying to serve parents. So can you tell me a little bit about the Acton Academy? You talked a little bit about the Socratic method and and other things. And and I'll tell you from what I know about already, the thing that I'm especially interested in is the empowering of students. But can you talk about the overall, the model of education that you're taking to teach kids? Sure. And, and in a way, this is a... Um... Uh, a Frankensteinian uh, combination of different pieces. So we've taken a lot from Maria Montessori, the Montessori method. Uh, we've taken a lot from the Socratic method, uh, really as practiced by the Harvard Business School. Uh, we're using all the latest game-based adaptive programs like Khan Academy or Manga High or ST Math, uh, where computer-aided, game-aided programs work. And uh, you know we're really mixing all those together to create a one-room schoolhouse for the 21st century because we have multi-age, we'll have all elementary ages are all in the same room together. All middle school ages are in a different room together and all high school ages are in a different room. But each of those pods of 36 students, so um, 100 and um, uh, plus students interact with each other. So you'll see students streaming from the elementary studio to the middle school and back but they're basically, it's a multi-age campus where everyone's learning from each other. And so what are some of the things that you see, you know, whenever we talk about doing that in public education, we think, oh, it's not good for high schoolers to be around kindergartners. And that's the extreme that everybody goes to. And it even gets crazy uh, when you talk about sending sixth graders to the same school as eighth graders. If somebody hasn't been exposed to that, then they're super afraid of that. So what kinds of things do you see with those interactions between those different age levels? 
Well, first off, you see one of the most interesting things is the age levels tend to disappear. Now, certainly you can tell the difference between someone who's seven years old and 17. But within the studios, uh, you might forget that uh, in the middle school studio that there's someone who's in their first year of middle school. We, we don't even talk about grades because people move so quickly and sometimes they take more time. But someone who's in their first year of middle school at our school is already finished with calculus. And so if one of the high schoolers is struggling with a calculus problem, they'll come find Ian and Ian will coach them through uh, calculus. And so the age distinctions begin to blur. We don't have the issues that you might find in a very large middle school or high school or elementary school because our, our pods are only 36 students. So it's much more like a family. It's much more like uh, a tribe. Everyone knows each other very well, and there are all sorts of mechanisms and systems in place collecting feedback all the time, where if there is some sort of uh, problem, you see it. And so the other part of acting that's important to understand is you mentioned the self-management, self-governance. And the young people really run the studios. We provide the challenges. We're like game makers. We provide the games and the rules and invite people to play. But after that, we step out and they do everything from draft the constitution every year that runs the school. Uh, they run an Eagle Buck system, which is really um, an economic system that gives you Eagle Bucks for doing certain efforts and you pay certain fines for stepping across civil borders. Um, so really the young people run just about everything in the studio and as guides, we're not even allowed to utter a declarative sentence. We can only ask a question. So we spend a lot of time asking hard questions and then eventually they become the game makers and we step out completely. So it is a very student led, uh, uh, student driven uh, in fact, we call it a learner-driven community because it is driven by the young. So one of the concerns with that approach is that kids who are um, engaged in that might spend all of their time finger painting because that's all that they want to do. What have you actually seen as it relates to students being driven and motivation and desire to learn more things? Yes. Well, and, and, and I think there is a entropy among human beings in general and young people specifically there's an entropy to do nothing and waste time uh, among most people. And so, you know, the autodidacts, you might be somebody who learns that way, and I might be some of but I think those people are fairly rare. Most people want to hang out with their friends and have fun. So at Acton Academy, uh, we make it very fun at first, but it's clear that to stay in this fun place, you also have to work hard. So there's lots of measurements going on of how many con skills, how many deep books, which is our word for a transformative book, have you read? It's competitive to you personally, and it's very transparent how much you're learning, how many badges you've earned, and you have to do a certain amount of work to remain in the studio. And the more work you do, the more freedom you get. So freedom and responsibility are tied. And if you do no work, you can't stay in the community, but it's a really fun place. So you want to stay there. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about some of those feedback mechanisms? I know you survey parents every week to see how, how you're doing. Can you talk a little bit more about the other feedback loops that are there? Sure. So the most important feedback loop you've alluded to is, is the parents and students uh, are asked every week, uh, would you recommend Acton Academy to a friend or relative? So a net promoter score in business terms. And those results and all, all the comments are public um, to anyone that wants to read them. So they're, they're not held private by us. As soon as you send in your comment, it's visible. Uh, so we live and die based on what our customers say. Uh, we make a very sp specific set of promises of what we'll deliver. 
they can see all the metrics we can see. So if you're a parent, you can see the metrics, the young people can see the metrics. And you know, everyone's aware that the harder you work and the kinder you are, the more responsibility and freedom you get. And that might be just as, as simple, Jethro, as it might be as simple as you can have a snack at your desk anytime you want it, rather than having a snack in the kitchen anytime you want it. And you would think that we were King George III taking away all the colonist rights just for the fact that I have to eat my snack at my desk is this you know, horrible infringement on my rights. But then the answer is, well, if you don't want that infringement, you need to earn more points this week because if you have more effort, and again, if you're kinder to people, you'll get more freedom. And, and so another example, we take 360 peer satisfaction surveys at least once a session. And that means every student in the studio is asked to rate every other student on whether they're warm-hearted and then separately tough-minded. So are you holding your boundaries in a way that's also encouraging and warm? And those ratings are part of allowing you to move up. So you have to be a leader in terms of being tough-minded and warm-hearted in a measurable way uh, to earn more responsibility in the studio. And, and you know, the feedback, um, we moderate the feedback so that if I just say, Jethro, I hate you, that gets taken out. <laughs> but, but the feedback would be in the form of, Jethro, when you interrupt me, when I'm working, it frustrates me, would you please leave me alone if you see my head down? That would be an example of feedback. And I can choose as the person receiving the feedback to listen to that or not. But if enough people believe I'm being disrupted to the community, it's going to infringe upon my freedoms. I'm going to have less freedom in the studio uh, until I decide to act more civilly. Hmm. And then those freedoms are restricted by uh, the peers as well, not by the teacher or head of school or whatever it may be? Yeah. So they're entirely enforced by the peers. We will at times make recommendations, but in almost all cases, the council has the right to, to adopt something different. Now, the, the whole school, the whole learning community functions on contracts. So we've made a contractual promise to parents in writing. We signed it. They signed it. Uh, we've delegated certain of our rights to guides and far more rights to the young people. Uh, parents have delegated. Parents still re remain in our in our setup, parents are the ultimate authority for their young person, even though they put them into our community. So it's a set of interlocking agreements that everyone creates and signs. And we retain, for example, you can't jump off the second story of the school head first. I mean, there are certain things, you know, that as owners, we say would be too dangerous to allow because we've promised your parents you remain safe. But within almost any kind of reason, the council and the squad leaders and the young people have the right to change um, the systems or the rewards or the consequences to make the community stronger. And, and remember, those are the people that earn the right to make it stronger. So they tend to be the people that are not easy, but in fact, will you know, set high standards. So with that idea of human beings naturally having entropy back to laziness or hanging out or whatever, what motivation is there for those students who are on the council to become to maintain those high standards? Why wouldn't they just go back? What, what do you see there? Sure. And one of the most important things I should have mentioned by now is the mission of the school and the thing we repeat and talk about all the time is that we promise that each person who enters our doors will find a calling that will change the world. And so the overarching theme of the school that's talked about all the time is the hero's journey and the idea that heroes hear a call, they go out on an adventure, 
they face challenges and overcome them. And then in the process of seeking something of value, the hero is transformed. So Sir Lancelot doesn't go after the Holy Grail for the Grail. That's part of it. But it's the way that Sir Lancelot is transformed in the search for the Grail. And so that motif of the hero's journey and the struggle, a six-year-old understands Star Wars, a um, high schooler, uh, what we call the launch batters, but a high school-aged uh, Acton Eagle uh, will understand Tolstoy. I mean, you know, so, so the hero's journey really transcends and is the thing we go through. And that's, it, you know, you're always inspiring and talking about, if you're here, your mission's to change the world. How are you going to do it? And so that, that discussion is ongoing all the time, and it tends to keep the standards high. I, I really love the uh, hero's journey, and, um, and it has helped me so many times to explain so many different concepts to different people in different areas. It's just, it is universal, and it is something that every hero does go through, and it's the only stories or movies or books that make a lasting impact on people are the ones that really follow those well you know if we think about the if if the entropy of humans is to squabble with each other and work less and you know for the society to disintegrate it's the heroes that re-inject that energy and it's the call forward against that entropy to go out and change things and do things that matter with your greatest gifts and doing something you enjoy or in flow while you're doing it that's the counter to the entropy right and so the whole battle of whether civilizations rise and fall is the question of how many heroes are there that continue to rally the troops and continue to call people to greatness. And that's what we're doing every day is we're calling the young people in these learner-driven communities uh, to that greatness. And, you know, after a while, we can step out of that because they call each other to it. There's enough role models. There's enough calls. And, and, but, but look, it's no utopia. The entire community will fall apart from time to time. And as adults, it's really hard. We have to step back. We let it become Lord of the Flies, not in a dangerous way, but in a uh, disruptive, um, no one's learning anything, they're fighting. And then a young person will come to us and say, I don't want to live this way anymore. I said, what are you going to do about it? Well, I guess I'll get a couple of the other leaders and we'll get back. And, you know, so suddenly this self-governance takes place and they take charge again and they fix the community. And so the most frustrating times for us when it seems like no one is learning anything are the times they're learning the most important lessons of self-management and self-governance, and they have to rebuild the community. And it's always anti-fragile. It always comes back stronger. It may break, but then it's rebuilt in a stronger way, just like a muscle is stronger. And so the hard thing as an adult is to allow that to happen and then to allow it to rebuild itself. Um, And you have to have a lot of faith that those leaders are going to be able to rebuild it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I've i shared this book in my mastermind. It's the one that we're reading. And I run a mastermind for other principles where we talk about these kinds of things. And one of the comments from one of them was that it, it sounds like it could become Lord of the Flies and how that he saw that as a bad thing. And as educators, like that is scary to us because we that means that we have lost control of the situation if it ever gets like that. But you're intentionally giving up that control of the situation and putting it in their hands. What do the parent feedback surveys and the student surveys and the 360, whatever that was called, the 360 thing of their right. peers, um, yeah. what do those look like when it is in that state of Lord of the Flies? Well, 
you will see a lot of angst in those. Uh, you'll also see angst, by the way, in October when report cards come out for everyone else and we don't have report cards. And so parents start to wonder, are they really learning anything at all? Yeah. And, but then here's what happens that's interesting. Then you hear the testimony of the veterans, the veteran eagles and the veteran parents that say, oh, no, 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 we've been here before. Have patience. Let it work itself out. You know, we, we've seen this happen. This is what the hero's journey is all about. Now, at the same time, remember, there's lots of underlying structure to this and kind of rights and, and freedoms are going away because the community is disintegrating. There are people there that have, that have tasted great learning and being able to do things. They're annoyed. They're not allowed to function. And we're also, as guides, the one thing we can do is offer choices. So I can step in and say, well, Jethro, you're one of the leaders. Do you think that you should focus on rebuilding a democratic republic? a pure democracy, or is it time for a benevolent dictatorship? Which one of those do you think you might uh, put in place? They won't know what any of those terms mean at first, but they'll run off and research them and find out. Then they'll talk among themselves and they'll try to put one in place. So I did kind of influence the system by asking a question. I framed a question that allowed them to go find the tools to rebuild the, the society. And so after that happens, you know, a couple times in their experience, then they they should have that answer faster later, but then also see the the flaws that were in the previous system, right? Yes, yes. And, and, and you know, it comes back stronger every time. I remember one time we, uh, as guides, one of the few things we have contractually we can do, we can show them a copy of the contract they created and then show them a video of what the studios look like and said, look, these two are not the same. You're not living up to your promises. So you must either lower the standards or um, raise your conduct. It's up to you, but you can't lie. So as a guide, I have the right to show them the picture and the promises. And one time we, we did that and the studio didn't recover. So the guide's only response was to withdraw. We left the studio. We, we went on strike in essence. Well, what the Eagles did at that point is it kind of shocked them. They divided up the room into small principalities, like little city states with, with duct tape. And so you had six or eight desks at a time um, in little, and, and those groups developed their own sets of rules, a rule for when you could move between groups. They basically created city states. And the hardest thing was we were out of the studio for an entire week because it ran so well, they didn't need us back. And they didn't even invite us back in until a week later when they finally ran out of challenges and they realized the challenges we were still creating for them were more fun than the ones they could create for themselves. If they hadn't made that realization, we never would have been invited back in. And you know what? That would have been terrific because that meant they could run their entire studio. <laughs> yeah. Talk about working yourself out of a job. Yeah. Yeah. But it's surprising even now, if I'm, I'll be the only guide in, with a group of 36 middle schoolers and I might be doing something in the studio maybe 30 minutes a day. And the rest of the time I'm working on something else because they're all running it, doing it and learning. And we haven't taught one minute of math. We haven't taught one minute of reading. Uh, we haven't taught one minute of writing. It's all been peer reviewed and self-taught and they are beautiful writers. Uh, they're moving through con at about two times the normal rate. Um, and these are not, you know, these are not kids that you would consider gifted. In fact, half of them come from, you know, the top of the class because they were bored somewhere else and half of them come from the bottom because they weren't doing well, but they learned to work hard and they learn from each other. And, and when you get that environment working correctly, they'll learn at about three times the normal rate. It'll collapse about a third of the time. So they won't learn much. 
And so on average, they'll kind of move at about two normal grade levels a year, best we can judge. But most importantly, they pick up a lot of soft skills that you, know, you can't see on the standardized test. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that piece there is really where, like, just conflict resolution, um, yep. at the very least. I mean, so much of my time is, as a principal, is spent, you know, mentoring the children, let alone the adults that I need to mentor in my job also who don't have those skills. That is just something that, you know, I, I think about my own kids. I have four of them and they're in kindergarten through sixth grade right now. And what, you know, one of them has Down syndrome and so she learns much slower than everybody else. The next one is super bored in school because there is nothing there that is challenging for her. And the other two are little, one of them, just doesn't like school. The other one is a super rebel and likes to go against everything that we say. (laughs) And and so I've got a lot of differences in my own kids. And I think of what it would be like for them to really learn the skills that I want them to learn because they're going to learn because I'm their dad and my wife is their mom. Like they're going to be fine. I'm not worried about that. But being able to have them in a place where they can be challenged and grow and and learn those other skills of how to how to solve problems and and relate to people and not be ashamed of who they are and and go at their own pace that just sounds so much better to me than what what they've been getting for their educational career so far well as you said they'll be fine the question is you know what more could they learn in, in essence and what we're doing they're really in the real world earlier because you know even at age 10 and 11 our young people are out on apprenticeships, you know, they're out doing things in the real world. And the real world requires that you learn things like conflict resolution. I mean, I mean, you have to be able to you know, have those soft skills. You have to be able to speak to adults, look them in the eye, and shake their hand. Those are the reasons our parents come back over and over again is because they, um, they, they, they see the growth in, um, it's almost just humanity. I mean, the growth and the confidence yeah. and the poise and, and, and the ability to be, to, to fall down and get back up because heroes don't always win. Heroes always get back up. And we were very careful with that distinction with our young people. You know, don't kid yourself. Sometimes heroes lose. They do get back up. They don't quit. Yeah, that is so, so powerful. And I, and I love that, that approach. You know, I, I think about when you have this kind of a system in place, obviously there are always going to be challenges and obstacles that you overcome as the adults in the room. What are some of those things that make it really challenging? You already mentioned the having to watch it fail, and that's really hard. What are some of the other challenges that you face? Well, I think, frankly, the most difficult thing are, are the par- our parents, and I'm, I'm sure you face the same thing at your school, but we've got a terrific group of parents at Acton now, but but it doesn't work for people who want to be a helicopter parent. Uh, it doesn't work for parents who want to work out their own emotional issues through their child. It, you know, the parents have to be on a hero's journey, too. The parents have to be willing to fall and for it to be scary and to get back up um, and to allow their children to fail and cry and send them back into the game, and dust them off. So parents are really the hardest thing because in many ways, you know, we're in the business of helping parents get on a hero's journey. And we're, you know, Laura and I have made every mistake you can make as a parent. So we're not, we're not offering expert parenting advice. Maybe I could offer the things not to do, not the things to do, but, but parents are the hardest thing. Um, the young people are actually delightful. 
Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that you've done is you've created a book reading list for the parents. Can you talk about why you ask parents to read those books and and what you're hoping to get out of that? Well, so those are the books. It's a list of books that have inspired us, continue to inspire us. And uh, we actually have a whole series of parent badges. Um, you know, how do I cultivate uh, resistance? How do I cultivate mastery? And reading those books would be part of it. But to earn the badge, the parent would actually have to then go out and practice the skill. Just like our eagles earn badges um, in, in different quests and writing different pieces, the parents actually will go out and earn parenting, parenting badges. Interestingly, the idea for parent badges and each of the parent badges were, came from the parents themselves. So that was a group of 20 parents came to us and said, we need, we're struggling. We've learned from these books. We want to take these books and other great books we find and make badges and invite parents to do them. So, so when a parent comes to us complaining about something now, we say, well, have you done the Carol Dweck growth mindset badge? Well, no, I haven't. Mm -hmm. Well, go do the badge and then come back and talk to us. Well, I don't want to do the badge. Well, then you must not be having a very big problem because the badge, (laughs) if you read the book, it will help you. Well, no, I want you to help me. I'm not, you know, we don't do that. So we we can't in fact help you unless you read the book. (laughs) So, um, so that really came from parents trying to help other parents. That, that's fascinating. Um, how do you uh, keep track of all the badges? Uh, we, we have what in the, our industry lingo, I wouldn't have known this before I got, but it's a, it's a learning management system, but it's, it's really just an electronic system that allows us to put quest and a quest would be a series of challenges link, linked by a narrative. So you're Thomas Edison in his Menlo Park lab working on electricity patents. That might be a quest. And we can put those up, invite young people to come do them. They know where to go look and read. Then they can go to Khan Academy and do math. And they can work on a writing assignment. All of that goes into this electronic system. It then gets rolled up into badges where the young people have lots and lots of, uh, uh, you think of a badge as like a defined, a certain size box that you can pour certain things into. You, you, know, you, you have to pour water or sand for it to be this kind of badge into this box. But it gives them great flexibility within the badge to do things and to pick different heroes. We then can put all of those badges together, and I can construct by high school what would look like a traditional high school transcript. It would look just like a high-end prep school transcript, but it would be customized module by module uh, by the Eagles. And by the way, every, every badge is peer-reviewed. So you know the badges can't pass unless your peers pass on them. Um, and so, so that's how our badge systems work and that's how we keep track of things. And can I ask what the, uh, what the LMS is that you're using? We created ourselves. So we, we had to okay, build a custom right. to do what we wanted to. Yeah. So we built it okay. ourselves. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. There are, there are many LMSs out there, Blackboard, Canvas, Schoology, and a whole bunch more. And for you to be able to do it in the way that I thought you did, I thought you'd have to, to build your own LMS to, to meet your needs because they're built for schools and you're not running like a typical school. And so it's, right. it's going to be challenging. The only thing that would be tough to use, and I've used Blackboard and Moodle and a lot of them for different things. Yeah, they are. They do tend to be teacher centered and ours is more crowdsourced. Yeah. If you came to our studios, it would look like Google. I mean, in fact, Laszlo Bach's book, uh, who's the head of people for Google, he wrote a, a book on oh, the name's escaping me now. It's, um, I'll think it was safe. But anyway, he describes how Google is organized and run. It's really the same way our studios are run. Uh, they're very much like a free market experiment in Google. And so therefore, you couldn't use a centralized program to run them because there's no centralizing authority. Right. Yeah. 
Well, that's very cool. And then uh, I had another question that I wanted to ask you about the internships for uh, middle school age kids. That seems like a big, scary thing for kids to go out in the world. How do you manage those and what do those look like? It's very scary. And we don't, we we (laughs) don't manage. (laughs) It is scary. We don't manage them at all. We give them a series of steps or process by which they can write an email that no one can say no to. If you'll follow this process and do the research and genuinely care about this position, the email doesn't ask for an apprenticeship. It asks for 10 minutes on the phone to explain more. And then a sales pitch for the phone that you practice and work through and personalize, not asking for the apprenticeship, but asking to come in person to make the pitch. Now, if I write Jethro an email saying, I've always wanted to be a transformative principal and it's my life's work and here's why I've studied all of what you've done. I will get up early. I'll be there early. I'll work late. I'll do anything you ask. I'll mop the floors. Can I work alongside you? And I'm 14 years old and I show up in person and say, will you just give me one day? Just give me a chance to prove myself. You're going to get hired. And, yeah. you know, they don't, they don't always get hired, but we had a young person just get a, a cold call um, apprenticeship with Carl Rove. We've had people wow. get apprenticeships at uh, Khan Academy and at Google. And, you know, so, so if you do it right, the most important thing is they're learning, of course, how to go get any job in the world or to take on any adventure. And once they learn how to make those pitches and write the emails, it's not scary anymore. But we don't manage any of that other than giving them the templates. And it's up to their parents to sign off on. You can go see this person in person or you can take this job. And there's a part of the whole process is negotiating the contract between your parents and you and you and your employer and your parents and the employer to make sure everybody's all on the same page. And that way we're out of the liability loop. It's really between the parents and the, and the young people. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So, so fascinating to talk to you, Jeff. I know uh, we're run up on time here and I just sure. want to say thank you for your, for your time and generosity and sharing all this. I have about a million more questions and, you know, we'll just have to wait until I can come out to Austin sometime and, and ask you those questions in person. And yeah. uh, <laughs> um, the last question I have though is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? Um, I think the most powerful thing is the hero's journey and to believe that every young person who enters the doors is, is deserves to find a calling that's going to change the world. I mean, it's why we've got uh, 60 acting affiliates around the world now open, and we have 7,000 applications from parents, entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurial educators who want to start an acting. And it's the power of that idea that every child's a genius, and you have to, your job is to inspire them to find out you know, what they were meant to do. And if you can infect a school or community with that idea, you will be blown away by what young people can do. Yeah. Powerful. Where, where can people go to learn more about you and Acton Academy? Sure. Uh, The uh, one of the best ways Laura's book courage to grow that you mentioned is a great, it's kind of the origin story of Acton, the story of how it's taken off and spreading across, across the world. So that's a great kind of fun, easy read or uh, www.actonacatomy.org named after Lord Acton, who was the uh, British philosopher of freedom. Uh, but either of those two places, um, you know, we love more affiliates. We love people kind of joining, joining the battle. And um, maybe someday we'll have one in Fairbanks. You never know. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jeff, so much. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Well, there you have it. That's my interview with Jeff. And yes, every child is a genius. Every child 
has an opportunity to change the world. And I just hope that you and I can facilitate that and make it possible for those kids to do that. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this with another educator who would benefit from this message. Thank you so much for listening to Transformative Principle. Transformative Principle is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts.